Welcome, everybody, to week two of Be the Church, this six-week journey we're taking together to help us move from just going to church to being the church wherever we go. And so last week, we kicked off this journey by focusing on the importance of living on mission. Because, see, being the church is not just about doing good things out in the community or helping people. It is about living out the specific mission that Jesus has called us to. And you may remember last week that, that Jesus defined the mission for us. Early on in his public ministry, when he and his disciples returned to his hometown of Nazareth, and there he was invited to be the guest speaker in the synagogue that he grew up in. And in his sermon, Jesus not only declared to his hometown that he was the Messiah, but he also spelled out specifically what he had come to do. Jesus declared that he had come to preach good news to the poor, that he had come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, and to stand up for the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. At the end of Jesus' public ministry, he would pass the baton of that mission off to us as his followers. And we see that in Jesus' final prayer during his last days on earth. It's found in John chapter 17. That whole chapter is a prayer of Jesus. It's an amazing prayer. But I want you to notice this one line that Jesus prays that's recorded in verse 18. Jesus says to his heavenly Father, just as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them, my followers, into the world. As Christ's followers, we have been sent on a mission from God. And if that is true for us individually, it must also be true for us collectively as the church. That's why we, the church, exist to continue the mission that Jesus started when he was physically on this earth. That's what the church is. The church is the continued physical presence of Jesus in our world. That's why the Apostle Paul frequently refers to the church as the body of Christ, right? What is a body? It is the physical presence of someone. That's what we're talking about when we say go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. On his own, that phrase seems weird, be the hands and feet of Jesus. But when you understand what we're talking about, we're talking about being the physical presence of Jesus in our world, using our feet to go where hurting people are, using our hands to help hurting people and bring the hope of the gospel. Seeing with our eyes the way Jesus sees the people and circumstances around us. Feeling in our hearts the compassion that Jesus felt for people. That's what we are. That is our mission, to continue the physical presence of Jesus in this world. And so last week we talked about the importance of living on mission. 
Today, I want to talk about the importance of staying on that mission. To consistently and continually stay on the mission that Jesus has called us to. And to help us do that, we're going to fast forward about two years from that day in the synagogue in Nazareth when Jesus defined the mission. And in that two-year period, Jesus has been doing exactly what he said he was going to do, right? He's been preaching good news to the poor, giving sight to the blind, standing up for the oppressed, declaring the Lord's favor on his people. And along the way, in that two years, Jesus has expanded his public ministry from his home state of Galilee, has expanded out all the way south into Judea and even in parts of Samaria. And along the way, he's picked up some additional followers. Over and above the original 12 who went to Nazareth with him, over this two-year period, he's picked up somewhere between 70 and 100 additional followers of his ministry. And so one day, Jesus decides that he's going to send out those followers to practice living out the mission. They'd been with him for two years. They'd seen him do it, watched him do it, been a part of him doing it. But Jesus knew his time physically on this earth was coming to an end. So he wanted them to get out there and get ready and practice doing it without him being physically present with them. And so before he sends them out, he calls this group of followers together and he gives them some specific instructions on how to go and do this mission. When you read Jesus' instructions on the surface, they seem strange. They're like strange requests, things that he tells them to do and not do. But when you dig down a little deeper, you discover that what Jesus is providing is a how-to manual for staying on mission, for living out this mission that we've been called to. Now, these instructions are found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn or click there. If you didn't bring one with you or you don't have one, that's okay. The key verses are printed on the program you got when you came in, or they're available online if you're watching online. And as we unpack these instructions from Jesus, we're going to see five keys to staying on mission. Five keys to continue to do the very things that Jesus has called us, his church, his body, to do. And the first thing Jesus tells us to stay on mission is we got to work in teams. Staying on mission requires working in teams because the mission that Jesus calls us to is not something we can do on our own. You're not capable of living out the mission that Jesus calls you to all by yourself, right? Mission-driven living is not a solo sport. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We need to do this together. In fact, notice the first thing that happens. Jesus calls his followers together, verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out how? What does that say? Two by two. He sent them out in pairs and teams ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. You may remember two weeks ago, we talked about this, about the importance and efficiency of working together. Because think about this. There's a lot of villages for Jesus to send them to, a lot of people, a lot of needs, right? 
Jesus immediately cuts his labor force in half by sending them out in teams, right? Instead of being able to reach out to 72 villages, he limited the scope of his ministry to just 36 villages. Why? Because for Jesus, it wasn't about efficiency. It was about effectiveness. And we're always more effective when we work in teams. Now listen, I know from my own experience, it always seems easier to get something done by just doing it yourself, right? It's just easier. When you start working with other people, things get messy. They got their own ideas of how it ought to be done, their own way. Well, I want to do this. Well, I want to do that. And so it's messy working in teams. But listen, living on mission is not about easy. It's about effectiveness. We're always more effective when we work together. That's why during this Be the Church journey, our community service projects are being done in and through our home groups. Instead of sending you out and, you know, by yourself or with just your family, we're working through our home groups because we're better in teams. We're more effective than we are as individuals. And here's the good news. If you've not connected in a home group to be a part of one of these community service projects, it's not too late. We're just in week two. We're just getting going. So reach out at your campus. Reach out online. Let us help you get connected with the group so that you can be a part of being the church, working in our community. But don't miss this. Being a part of a team is not just about working together for the mission. It's also about our longevity of staying on mission. We need each other to stay in the fight long term. Remember two weeks ago, we were talking about this better together and how synergy works. Two people get more done than they could individually. We looked at that Old Testament verse from Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 that says two are better than one because they get more done together. But I want you to look at the very next verse, Ecclesiastes 4.10. It says, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls. Why? Because no one is there to help. Listen, the truth is you can't even get through your life on your own, let alone thrive in living out the mission by yourself. Staying on mission requires working with and connecting to others. The second key we learn to staying on mission is not only do we need each other, but we need God. The second key is we have to depend on God. Understand, accomplishing the mission is not about our talent, our skills, or our resources. It is about our God. And yes, God uses our talents, he uses our skills, he uses our resources, but without him trying to live on mission, you will always end up in over your head. In fact, notice what Jesus tells them there in verse 2. He says, there are a great many people to harvest, but there are only a few workers. Paul's right there. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there's a whole lot of villages out there. And in those villages are a whole lot of people with a whole lot of needs, and there's only two of you in 
each of those villages. Jesus is saying, you're in over your head. This thing is bigger than you can do on your own. So what does he tell them to do? Look at the rest of the verse. So pray to God who owns the harvest that he will send more workers to help gather his harvest. And look, Jesus not only tells them that they need to depend on God, he kind of makes it so they have to depend on God. Notice the first part of verse 4. Jesus said, oh, by the way, when you're going to these villages, don't take any money with you. Think about that for a minute. First, these little two-person teams, they have to travel to the village they've been sent to. A minimum of a day walk, probably two days, some maybe three days, nights on the road, traveling on the road. Then when they get there, they're going to spend some significant period of time, a week, a two weeks, month. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they're there. But they're going to have to be in that village, you know, taking care of themselves and trying to help other people. And then when they're done, they got to travel all the way back to where Jesus is. And Jesus says, yeah, do that without any money. I'll just tell you, to me, that seems like a bad plan. Right, that seems like a, a recipe for disaster. Why does Jesus put that limitation on them? It's not like they didn't have money. Jesus had a treasury. They had a collection. They had some resources. Why does Jesus restrict them like this? Because he wants them to depend on God. He wants them to see God move and work and providing for their needs so that they will believe that God can provide miraculously for the needs of those they've been sent to reach. Listen, when you reach out to share the hope of the gospel, when you step up to help hurting people, when you step into the fight to meet the needs of the under-resourced and marginalized around you, if you don't feel overwhelmed by that, you're not doing it right. If you don't feel in over your head, you're pre either not really living on mission or you are not aware of the overwhelming needs, of the overwhelming number of people right here just in our community, let alone the whole world. Living on mission always puts us in over our heads. It's always going to be bigger than you. It's always going to be bigger than our church, but it's never going to be bigger than our God. And the more dependent we are on him, the more able we are to stay on mission with him. So I want to ask you to develop a new habit. Anytime you are stepping out to live on mission, whether that's together with your home group in a service project or whether that's just seeing the need of somebody in the parking lot of Walmart. Before you say or do anything to step up to help, stop and pray. Stop and pray. And I'm not talking about a 20-minute prayer. You do that and the person's already gone or somebody else has met the need. I'm talking about just a micro prayer to say, Jesus, help me. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Tell me what to say. Tell me what to do. Tell me what not to do. That little micro prayer is an expression of dependence on God that I'm stepping into this, not in my own power, but in his power. We have to depend on God to stay on mission. Number three, the third key to staying on mission is we've got to travel light. We've got to travel light. You can't stay on mission with a heavy load. That's why I notice again, middle of verse four, Jesus says, not only don't take any money, 
He says, don't take a traveler's bag nor an extra pair of sandals. He's like, don't take no money. Don't even take an overnight bag or your little makeup and hair caboodle, right? Don't take an extra pair of shoes. Why would Jesus say, don't take this stuff? Because when you're living on mission, extra stuff just gets in the way. I remember the first time I ever traveled outside of the United States. Years ago, I think it was like 2004, myself and two men from the church here were asked to travel to Romania to teach our home group leader training to Romanian pastors. Now, I'd never been out of the country. I'd never even hardly been out of the southeast. I had no idea what life was like in Romania. I didn't know what the weather was like, didn't know what the food was going to be like, didn't know if the churches I was going to be in uh, required me to dress up, didn't know if I could wear casual. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I just figured, when in doubt, take a couple of everything you might need. So I went out and I got one of those huge suitcase. You know, the biggest suitcase they make, they're huge. You can get like a dead body in there. This thing is huge. And so I just put two or three of everything I thought I might need. I had warm weather clothes and cold weather clothes. I had dressy clothes and casual clothes. I fill that thing up with peanut butter and granola bars because I didn't want to be hungry and I didn't know what kind of food they had over there. So, I mean, this thing, I think back in the day, I think the weight limit for check baggage back then was like 70 pounds. I think it's 50 now. But back then, you know, you could get 70 pounds. And I had all 70 pounds in that massive suitcase. And I got the largest size carry-on bag that is allowed. The biggest one you could get, I stuffed it with stuff. Then on top of that, I had a backpack full. It stuck out like three feet, like a giant hump. I wish you could have seen me walking through the Columbia, South Carolina airport, dragging all that. I looked like a refugee, right, carrying everything I had, you know, and I lugged that stuff through multiple airports. Then we got to Bucharest, Romania. I had to lug it into a cab, and then we got to the apartment we were staying in, and it was on the second floor, and they had an elevator, but in Romania, the elevators are smaller than a phone booth, so my big bag wouldn't even fit in. I'm dragging this stuff up two flights of stairs. We do the work there. We're there about a week or two. Then we come back home. I drag it back through multiple airports, and when I finally get get home and I'm unpacking, I realize over two-thirds of the stuff I packed, I never touched. It never came out of the suitcase. And I think so many times we, we carry way too much stuff in our life. Listen, lightening the load is not just good when we travel. Lightening the load is essential for living on mission right here, right now. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 1. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Why? So that we can run with endurance the race, the mission that God has set before us. Success in our mission is not about what we have. It's about how we love. And you can't love well when your arms are full of stuff. You can't love well when you're trying to hold on to the stuff of this life. Now listen, nothing wrong with material possessions. Nothing wrong with having a house and a car or any other things that you have. I'm just saying we need to recognize that that stuff takes our time, our attention, our resources, and our energy. 
Material possessions are great to have, but they're a lot of work. They're a lot of upkeep and a lot of maintenance and a lot of your time and energy. So listen, I'm not telling you to go out and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, but here's what I am asking you to do. Take an honest evaluation of the stuff in your life and ask yourself, is some of that stuff getting in the way? Is there some of that stuff that I need to let go of to get rid of so that I can live out the mission that I was created for? But here's the truth as well. For some of us sitting in here today, the stuff that's getting in the way is not our material possessions. It's our own emotional baggage. We're carrying pain from the past. We're carrying resentment and bitterness from hurts and unforgiveness from the hurts in the past. Maybe we're holding on to that secret sin that we keep wrestling with and and we never tell anybody about. We try to keep it hidden and we wonder why it is weighing us down in life. So here's my question for you, church. What do you need to strip off to live on mission? What do you need to let go of? Because the lighter we travel, the more effective we are. Number four, the fourth key to staying on mission is you gotta stay focused. We gotta stay focused. Staying on mission means we gotta stay on track. And staying on track means we have to avoid distractions. Jesus gives these little two-person teams some interesting instructions at the end of verse four. Notice what he says. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. In other words, Jesus said, when you're on your way traveling to these villages, don't stop and greet people along the way. Why would Jesus say, doesn't that seem rude? Ignore the people on the street, just keep going. Why would Jesus say that? Does he want us to be rude and unfriendly and ignore the people who don't live in the village? No. The Bible's very clear. As Christ followers, we are to be full of compassion and kind and aware of the people around us. So why does Jesus say this? To understand this instruction, you got to understand the context and the culture. Because in our culture, greeting someone on the road takes about 30 seconds, right? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Kids good? You're good? Yeah, hey, have a great day. It's nothing. Takes no time, Harley, out of your day. But in an Eastern culture, especially in the first century, but even still today, a greeting is an event, a half a day, a, a whole day of it. Greeting someone on the road meant being invited into their home maybe for a meal, maybe for a a cup of tea or whatever. It's a long ordeal. I remember several years ago, Terry and I were spending some time with some of our global peace workers in South Asia, and they said one day, hey, we're going to go visit this family we've been working with. I'm thinking visit. Yeah, it'll be like 30 minutes, an hour at the most. Four and a half hours later and about 10 cups of tea later, we're still sitting in this living room talking and visiting And so Jesus is not saying be rude or unkind to the people on the road. What Jesus is saying is the mission is in the village, not on the road. Stay focused on what I've sent you to do. In fact, a little later, Jesus will say, if the people in that village reject you, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, 
Don't try to knock down doors to get your way. He said, just leave and shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next village. Church, I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time and energy to try to kick in doors to people who are resistant to the message of Christ rather than walking through the doors that God has already opened, where he's already working in the lives of people who desperately want to hear. I think one of the biggest barriers for us to live on mission is not a lack of desire. I know you people. I know you have a heart to care and to make your life count. It's not a lack of desire. It's all the distractions around us. We live in the most distracted culture in all of human history. We are the most distracted group of people ever. The information age and social media has bombarded us with thousands, maybe even millions, trying to get our attention, trying to get us to focus or buy their product or get behind their cause, and we are distracted by that. And think about this. We have been called to reach and connect with the most distracted culture in human history. How are we going to do that if we're distracted? How are we going to do that if we're focusing on politics and winning some battle on Facebook or being caught up in things that won't matter in eternity? If we cannot stay focused, how do we expect to reach and connect the distracted people around us? Got to stay focused to stay on mission. And then finally, number five, the fifth key to staying on mission be relational. Be relational. Staying on mission requires developing good long-term relationships. In fact, notice what Jesus says in verse 7 to these teams. When you're in the village, check this out. He says, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place eating and drinking what they provide and don't hesitate to accept hospitality. In other words, Jesus is saying when you get to the village, don't bounce around from house to house. Don't stay a night here and a night there. Stay in one place. Why would Jesus say that? Right? Wouldn't it make more sense to spend a little bit of time maybe with this family and a little bit of time so you could have more influence? No. Jesus is saying stay and go deeper with the people that you connect with because eventually you're going to leave the village. They live in the village. They're on the ground 24-7. Pour into them so that when you're gone, they can keep pouring in to the people in their community. That's why we as a church, when we go to live out the mission locally and globally, we partner with organizations and individuals who are on the ground 24-7 in the places that we're reaching out to. That's why we don't send a bunch of people on a plane just to travel over to Guatemala and feed hungry children and then turn around and fly back. What good does that do? But when we partner with an organization that is daily feeding spiritually and physically hungry children in Guatemala, they have an impact. They have an influence. That's why we don't have a, our own homeless shelter or, or uh, work training. That's why we don't have, you know, people showing up here with a food pantry. We partner with people who are engaged in the lives of the hungry and the homeless on a daily basis because it's all about relationships. 
Living on mission is about building relationships long term. Listen, that's not only true for us collectively as a church. Guess what? It's true for you individually. In living out the mission in your individual life, you have to connect relationally. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I try to find common ground with everyone. Because of doing that, I'm doing everything I can to save some. That phrase, common ground, He's talking about connecting relationally with people wherever they are on their journey. I just try to meet people where they are and connect relationally with them. Why? Because people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. And what you have to say, the hope you have to share, they don't want to hear it until they know you will live it out that you really care about them beyond just getting another notch on your soul-winning belt or another number on your baptism count. They want you to connect and know them. And as you do that, you either A, earn the opportunity to share with them the hope you have in Jesus or live in such a way that they will ask you about the hope you have in your life. Either way, you will live out the mission that Jesus has called us to. But here's the problem, church. We stink at this, all of us, including myself. Because here's the facts. Within seven years of becoming a follower of Jesus, almost all Jesus followers have no significant relationships with non-believers. When you become a Christian, within the first seven years of that, we begin to disconnect from unchurched or uh, non-believers, and we start to build our authentic, close relationships with other believers, which is great. You need that. Your core relationships must be with other Christ followers. We need each other on this journey. But you cannot abandon connecting relationally with non-believers. And this only happens if we're willing to be intentional. If we're willing to get intentional about connecting relationally with others who don't know Jesus, who don't have the love and support of a church family, and who don't have a hope beyond the ups and downs of life on this planet. So I'm going to close today with a question. Where is one place, church, you can be intentional about connecting relationally with non-believers? Work? How about in your neighborhood? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know where they are spiritually? How about where you go to school? How about at the ball field where you take your kids multiple times every week? Are there parents, people in that stands that you're going to be spending time with the whole season? Are there opportunities for you to connect? Be intentional because, yes, we are called to live on mission but that mission has a name and a face. That mission is not some nebulous cloud of people out here who are hurting and need help. It's that next person that Jesus sends right into your life. What's the name of your mission? What's going on in their life? Because that's what Jesus has called us to do, to be the church. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for being so clear in your instructions on how to do this, 
how to stay on mission. And Father, would you move us from people who just know what the mission is to people who actually care enough to give enough and serve enough to live on that mission daily, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We need your help to do this, Jesus. On our own, we are in over our head. There are too many hurting people in our community, too many broken people that we pass every day. We cannot do this on our own. We can't do it as a church. I don't care how many campuses we have. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So God, call us to a deeper sense of mission. Help us take a next step in being done with settling for less than what you've called us to do. We need you, Jesus. Pour out your spirit like never before on your church and move your people to love you, to love their neighbor, and to live on mission every day of our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.